enjoyed it. Let me just say before I get into the word that um, we are going to have a special patriotic thing tomorrow night at 645. We're going to start 15 minutes early and we've got some great things. We've done this every year, even though that tomorrow is only the first of July. Is that right? Oh, is today the first? How about that? Anyway, it's not the 4th of July, but we are going to go ahead and do this because, you know, praise God for the Christian foundation of this nation. If you've been watching my television programs this week, I've had David Barton on, and there's people that preach that America is supposed to be a secular nation and that our founding fathers never intended this. And I tell you, that is just absolutely inaccurate. This is a Christian nation. It was formed on Christian principles. It's tolerated other uh, denominations and other faiths and stuff. And there has been liberty and freedom, but it is a Christian nation. And I think we need to honor that and remind ourselves and praise God for it. So anyway, we're going to have some of that. We'll be starting 15 minutes uh, earlier tomorrow night. And I encourage you to come and be a part of it. You'll be blessed. Praise God. Let's turn back over to Matthew chapter 13. You know, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but this, this little book right here, the Gospels edition of our Life for Today commentary, it took me uh, six years to write this. And this is a tremendous study tool. And um, anyway, if you don't have one of these, you ought to get it. I use this all of the time because one of the things I did was harmonize the Gospels and see like we have this, these parables of the sower sowing the seed. It's listed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you don't get the full impact of everything being said unless you take all of the gospel writers account about what Jesus said and taught and put them together. And so this is a great study guide. I encourage you to get one of these. And uh, we're going to be talking about the parables from uh, Matthew chapter 13. Actually, you wouldn't know this if you don't study things chronologically. If you only go through Matthew and Mark and then Luke and John... You wouldn't know this, but Jesus taught 10 parables in one day. There's about seven of them listed in Matthew and then a couple in Mark and one over in Luke. And, uh, but if you put it all together, he taught 10 parables in one day. This is the most teaching from Jesus in one day recorded in the Bible. And he all taught, taught by parables all through the day. And these are just some of the foundation truths. And that's one of the reasons I believe that three of the gospel writers recorded this because it is very foundational. So in Matthew chapter 13, I'm not going to read the entire thing just for time's sake. Uh, I am, I'm, I've taught on this one parable before for at least four or five days and I hadn't got that much time. So I'm going to try and give you an abbreviated version. Let me just summarize that this is a parable talking about a man who took seed and he didn't plant it in rows the way that we plant seed today. But this is a man that had like a bag or something and he went around and he just threw the seed and it landed anywhere and everywhere. And it landed on four different types of ground and only one of those types of ground produced fruit. The others, the birds stole it away in the first one because it was hard-packed ground and it never penetrated the soil. The second one, it got into the soil, but there wasn't a lot of soil. It was mostly rocky and it didn't have room to put down roots. The third type of ground was a uh, ground that had uh, thorns and other things come up and it choked the word. And then finally, the fourth one was one 
that uh, it brought forth 30, 60, and 100 folds. So that's the parable. And then Jesus gives the interpretation of it. But first of all, in uh, Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 10, it says, And his disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Well, that is a great question. And look at Jesus' answer. In verse 11, he said, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I unto them in parables, because they, seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecies of Isaiah the prophet, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. And their uh, ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. And should understand with their heart. And should be converted. And I should heal them. You know these scriptures are a little bit hard to grasp. But. Let me just try and summarize this quickly. I don't want to spend all night on this, but basically what he's saying is, here's, here's my paraphrase and understanding of it. The Lord communicates to us, not brain to brain, but heart to heart. There's a lot of scriptures that go along with this. Like over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You have to receive the things of God through your spirit. And for those who don't accept God, now God will reveal himself to every person, but those who don't accept God, in a sense, everything of God is hidden from them because it has to come through your spirit. When you get born again, you have a perception and an ability to know God that is just infinitely different than a person who's not born again. And again, I refer to that scripture that those that are natural cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness unto Him. He cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. And the reason for this is because everything that God has he has chosen to give us through Jesus. It says Colossians chapter two, verse three, that in Jesus are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything about God is revealed through Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He said uh, that no man comes unto the father, but by me. So the Lord set this up that a person has to reach out and receive the revelation of Jesus. If you don't do that, if you don't commit your life to Jesus, then the true wisdom of God, the things of God are hidden from them. And that's what all of these verses are talking about. And look at this verse in, um, let's see, which verse was it? It's verse 15. It says, for this people's heart is waxed gross. And their ears are dull of hearing. You know, this word waxed is really important. It means, the word wax means to intensify or increase. And literally what it is, is a word picture. You know, the way that they used to make uh, candles, 
in the old days was that they would take a vat of wax, it'd be hot, and they'd dip a wick into it and they'd lift it up. I've actually been to some of these places in New England where they still make candles this way and they have them on these little uh, machines and they'll have these wicks dangling from boards going across them and they have this hot wax and they just dip them and they raise them up and only for a second the wax hardens and then they dip them again and it puts another coat on it and they just do this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times until eventually wax forms around that wick and that's how they made candles. So when it says that this people's heart has waxed gross, this is what it's describing. It's a process. God reveals and convicts people to draw them unto himself, but they reject it and they push away the presence of God. God's not going to shout at you. I mean, he can. There are times like God appeared unto um, Saul on the road to Damascus. And I mean, it was very dramatic. There are exceptions, but by and large, God just reveals himself in a still small voice to people from the time that your children, man, I could spend an hour on this trying to hurry through this. But Romans 1, 18 through 20 says that God's revealed himself from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of man. They are without, without excuse. Even his eternal power and Godhead has been known unto every man. And so every single person has God knock on their door, but we turn the Lord away. We're too busy. Later, you know, like, uh, was it Felix, the governor that says, you know, when I have a more convenient time, I'll listen to you. Maybe that was Agrippa. But one of those two, as Paul witnessed to him, he says, you know, later when I have a more convenient time and they just turn themselves away. And every time you do that, your heart waxes a little bit more insensitive and you get more insensitive and insensitive. And so basically what the Lord is saying here, the reason he speaks to people in parables is because if a person will open up their heart and receive Jesus, then you get the Holy Spirit who reveals these great things of God to you. But a person who will not accept the conviction of the Holy Spirit and make Jesus their Lord, God has hidden truth from them. That's what he's saying. That's a serious statement. And it really puts the emphasis on how important it is to make Jesus your Lord. It really puts the emphasis on how that we just can't come to the Lord when we want to come to the Lord. We have to respond as the Lord is speaking unto us. There's a lot of people that are living their life. They know that God exists and they just say, well, before I die, I'm going to get right with God as if they can turn it on and off anytime they want to. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, no man can come unto the Father except the Holy Spirit draws him. You cannot come to God. You cannot understand the things of God without the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. And you do not have a guarantee that the Holy Spirit is going to give you 10 million opportunities. And so you can just live your life and before you die, get right with God. Man, that's a fallacy. And it's been proven thousands of times that people have car wrecks, sickness, disease, all kinds of things happen and people's lives die. So anyway, you cannot just receive the things of God without the help of the Holy Spirit. And John 14, 15, and 16 is written to show that there's about five different times that the Lord spoke about the Holy Spirit. And he said, like in John 14, 26, that when the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, is come, he will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've spoken unto you. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that quickens things. And so if a person doesn't receive the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, all of the truths of God are hidden from them. Boy, that is a strong statement. And it, I could spend a lot of time also showing that this is why some people today can look at situations and have just totally different um, reactions to it, different perspectives. And it's because one has been quickened by the Holy Spirit and sees things spiritually. The other one is only looking with carnal eyes. And the scripture says in Romans chapter 8 that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is the enemy of God. Boy, the whole book of Proverbs is written about this. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and with all you're getting, get understanding. Brothers and sisters, I just can't overemphasize how important it is not to think like this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind is how we experience transformation. And there is a way of thinking in this world. You know, again, I go back to these programs I'm doing with David Barton. And one of the points that he was making about American history is that there used to be a book that was taught to every student in school. And I forget the name of it now, but it was based on scripture and it was how to think was, was what it's about. That wasn't the title of it, but it was from scripture about how do you think, how do you process how do you look at things? And that used to be taught to every single person in the United States. And today it is not being taught. And there are people that honestly do not have, know how to process and think things. They haven't been influenced by the word. They've been influenced in a secular way. And again, the scriptures I've already quoted, and there's many more, just show that apart from God, there is no truth. There is no wisdom. The Bible says the fool twice in the book of Psalms. I think it's Psalms 53 and 14, if I'm not mistaken. Twice it says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's foolish. Man, I could go off on that forever. That's amazing. You know, I was walking through the woods and hiking the other day. And I, was, I, I walked for nearly two hours and didn't come upon any signs of human life. I live way out in the country. And I was just enjoying this and walking. And then I came across some stuff and there were some man-made cement blocks. And you could tell that there used to be some like tuba twelves or something. There was a wooden foundation that was on, on them. But it was so decayed that it was hard to tell. But as I looked at it, those were definitely cement blocks that somebody had and there were some decayed things and it was just now all nothing but decayed wood laying down. But it was so orderly. You could tell it was a rectangle and it had beams across it. And I looked at that and I said, you know, that is man-made even though it's decayed and stuff like this. And I thought somebody had to be here. And as soon as I thought that, I thought, you know what? There's people that can see this world that was created and all of this order and this perfect everything. It's just amazing how God created things and they look at it and think it just happened. And yet I can walk across and see just some wood that was laid in order on some cement blocks. You know, the chances of that happening are about 10 billion times better than this world just accidentally happening. 
And yet anybody who would walk through the wood and find something like that and think, look what evolved. (laughs) You would look at that and think you are a fool. And yet people are looking at this world and think, look what evolved. Man, it is foolish. I know there's people that criticize me and think, how dare you say that with people that have degrees and all of these great wisdom. Anybody that can look at a blade of grass. I mean, we got billions and billions and billions of blades of grass. Men can make things that might look like it. It might feel like it. It might have the same texture. But if you take a man-made blade of grass and stick it in the ground, it's not going to reproduce. It won't spread and it won't produce other grass. Man, with all of our cumulative ability, cannot make one single blade of grass. And yet they can't see God in that. That is just stupid. That is absolutely stupid. And you say, I can't believe you said that. Well, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm not mad at you, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong, praise God. I'm telling you that the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalms chapter 19, the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech or language where this voice has not gone forth. It's gone forth throughout all of the earth. Man, creation is screaming at us. And people miss it because they are spiritually dead. They haven't accepted the revelation that God has given. And because of that, they're cut off from wisdom. And that's basically what Jesus was saying. He says, I've given these people enough that if they would respond to the revelation that they have, then they would have the key that would unlock all of these other things. But if they don't accept the revelation that the Holy Spirit offers them, then all of these things are hidden from them. And you know what? Nothing's changed. It's still that way. And so he went on to say in chapter 13, in verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you do see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Well, that's an amazing statement. Did you know there are many people under the Old Covenant? Elijah, David, Moses. They didn't know the things that we know. They desired these things, but they didn't have the ability to understand what you and I have the ability. Now, it's not an automatic thing. You don't just instantly know things because you're born again. But once you get born again, you have the Holy Spirit that's been sent to teach you. And you can know the things of God. People will often quote the scripture that says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I believe that's 1 Corinthians 2, 8 or 9 right there. And people will quote that. And that's a quotation from an Old Testament scripture. And they just say, well, we can't know the things of God. Further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand why. But cheer up. You just got to be ignorant down here. It says over in Ephesians chapter 5, don't be ignorant, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, how do you deal with that scripture? It says, I hadn't seen nor ear heard. Well, the next verse says, but... God, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Are you at that next verse? No. First Corinthians chapter two, verse eight, I believe, or verse 
1 Corinthians 2, as in 1, 2. There you go. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. He's not saying that you can't know the things of God. He's just saying you can't know it with your little peanut brain. You can't figure it out with the wisdom of men. The wisdom of man is foolishness with God. You have to know it by your heart. It comes by revelation and the Holy Spirit inspires it. And he just keeps saying this over and over until those verses that I quoted from 1 Corinthians 2, 14, where it says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. That's talking about with your mind, with just your eyes, with your ears, you got to perceive it by the spirit. And this is what the Lord is saying unto them, that we are blessed. You know, as powerful as Moses was, Moses did not have the spiritual revelation that I've got. And some people struggle with that and say, how dare you say that? How arrogant can you be? Moses prophesied these same things. And these verses say that many righteous men have desired to see this. I believe it's First Peter or Second Peter chapter 2. It says that they diligently inquired, searching what time or manner of time they were speaking of when they made these prophecies. They didn't even understand their own prophecies. They didn't completely understand how this would happen. Brothers and sisters, most people do not appreciate the quickening power of the Holy Spirit and the new birth and the wisdom and the spiritual insight that that opens to us. And this is what Jesus is talking about right here. Boy, again, I could preach on that forever. But he says in verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, and he begins to give the interpretation. Let me turn over to Mark chapter 4. It says it just a little bit different in Mark chapter 4. And um, in verse 13, he said this, he said unto them, know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? Now this is the same instance. It's just one sentence recorded that Matthew didn't record. It doesn't contradict. It just supplements and adds to it. But Mark said that Jesus said, if you don't know this parable, you can't understand any parable. And conversely, if you do understand this parable, this is the key to understanding all of the parables of Jesus. You could say it's the key to understanding the teachings of Jesus. I don't know how many of you remember studying in school, but they talked about the Rosetta Stone and what this was about, they found a tremendous amount of Egyptian stuff with hieroglyphics on it, but nobody knew how to read hieroglyphics. And they had, I mean, thousands of, of pieces of uh, artifacts with all of this hieroglyphics on it, but nobody could read it until they found the Rosetta Stone. And the Rosetta Stone had all of this stuff in hieroglyphics, but then it also had two known languages. It had the exact same text in three languages. Two of them were known. And through that Rosetta Stone, they were able to compare and break the hieroglyphics. And today, you know, the archaeologists can read Egyptian hieroglyphics. And so all of the culture and the recorded history of Egypt has been opened unto us through what they call the Rosetta Stone. 
Well, in a sense, this parable is the Rosetta Stone of the Bible. If you can get these truths, it'll unlock all of the truths of Jesus to you. That's exactly what Jesus said right there in Mark chapter 4, verse 13. So this is a foundation principle. This ought to become something that is revelation to every person in here. You ought to know the parable of the sower sowing the seed like the back of your hand because it's the key to understanding the New Testament. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. It's that powerful. Amen. Some of you are looking at me like, oh, this is, this is too good to be true. It, it couldn't be this simple. It, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You get these truths, and I guarantee you, your spiritual life will begin to grow by leaps and bounds. It is that essential. Amen. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 14, he starts off by giving us the interpretation, and he says, the sower sows the word. So this parable is not actually about farming. It's actually just using farming or sowing seed as an illustration of how the kingdom works. And the seed is comparable to how the word of God works in the kingdom of God. And I could preach on this for a couple of hours. You know, these are, these are foundational things. These are some of the very first things that Jamie and I learned. I remember 1972 is when God started giving me revelation of this parable. And I have meditated on it thousands and thousands of hours. And it's a real key to understanding the, the teachings of Jesus. So I could spend a lot more time on this, but let me just point out one thing. The reason that God used a seed to compare the word of God to is because in this natural world, this entire world operates off of seeds. Seed time and harvest is a, a physical principle that God created and it controls life as we know it. There would be no life on the earth if it wasn't for seeds. You know, we're divorced or separated from the earth, the uh, way that previous generations were. Other people knew this and it really didn't have to be made. But a lot of people think that you go to the store to get your fruit and your vegetables. You think that the store grows them, but they don't. All of those things grow off of seeds. Every tree, you know, when God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't just say, let there be trees, let there be plants, let there be grass. If he had done that, then he would have to get up every morning and create new plants and new grass and new everything because it would have died and it would have been cut down and it wouldn't have had the ability to reproduce. But the wording in the book of Genesis is very particular. If you'd go back and read it, I won't take time to go over there, but he said, let the earth bring forth trees whose fruit is in itself. Let the earth bring forth grass whose seed is there. And every time he created something, he created those things with an ability to reproduce through seeds. Every tree, every plant, every blade of grass, any living thing on this earth reproduces through seed. Likewise, people. You are the result of seed. The scripture talks about the seed of the woman, the seed of man. There has to be a seed sown. I'm not going to go into detail on this. Hopefully you understand this, but you are the product of a seed. 
Seed is how everything works. There wouldn't be life. There wouldn't be a person here. There wouldn't be a person on this planet if it wasn't seed. There wouldn't be any food on this planet. There wouldn't be any plant life. There would be, not, there would be no life without seeds. Seeds determine everything. You can pray over barren ground all you want to. You can fast. You can give it everything you've got. You can pray in tongues. But if you don't plant a seed or if somehow a seed doesn't get there, nothing will grow. Plants don't come through prayer. Children don't come through prayer. You can pray and get healed so that your body is able to reproduce and take the seed. But I can guarantee you, you've got to plant a seed to have a child. Everything operates as a seed. And there are laws that govern how seeds work. There has to be certain temperature. There has to be nutrients in the soil. There has to be moisture. There there are things that govern it. And there are laws that God established. And you can't violate it. I actually had a man one time who got born again in Walsh, Colorado. He was the worst sinner in the entire county. Everybody knew Billy Bob. Man, I tell you, what a name. Everybody knew him. And when he got born again, I mean, he was the hot topic. Everybody talked about Billy Bob. Was that his name? Wasn't it Billy Bob or... I think it was Billy Bob. (laughs) Something like that. But anyway... He started testifying. He started getting people born again. He became the most popular thing on the full gospel circuits. And he started going and he was testifying. He was seeing hundreds of people born again. And he was really excited about the Lord. And I held a Bible study in his house. And this guy out in southeastern Colorado, they don't count their land in acres. They count it in sections. He had like 10 or 12 sections of land that he farmed. There's 640 acres in a section. And they counted it in sections. And so he had been out on the full gospel circuit testifying and doing God's work. And so he just suspect God would take care of him. And so he didn't have time to plant his wheat crop like everybody else. And so he let it go. And it was in November, I think, or I forget the exact time. But anyway, he was like six months late planting his wheat crop. The rest, everybody else's wheat was up and beginning to turn and they were getting ready to harvest it. And he went out and took out half a million dollar loan, bought half a million dollars worth of wheat seed and planted it two weeks before harvest and expected a supernatural harvest because he'd been doing God's work. So he just figured God would take care of him. And when his seed didn't come up, He got really upset and came to me like, how dare God do this? And I said, Billy Bob, how dumb can you get and still breathe? You got to plant that seed back in the spring. You can't wait until harvest to plant your seed. There are laws that govern how it works. And the reason that the Lord used seed as an example of the word of God is because there are laws that govern how the word works works. In the natural, see, we understand this. If a person waits till two weeks before their harvest comes and then complains about not having a harvest, we look at that and think, you know what, this person's just not very smart. It doesn't work that way. They didn't cooperate. But in the spiritual realm, people sit there and they, they sit down and they aren't seeking the Lord. They don't pray. They don't study the word. They aren't serious about God. They're goofing around. And then cancer strikes, the doctor tells them they're going to die and they go and have somebody pray for them and they pull a little promise out of the 
a little daily loaf bread and read one scripture by his stripes were healed. And they say, oh, I believe I'm healed. And if it doesn't work, well, then they get upset. And why didn't God heal me? That's just as silly as the person who has spent, you know, two weeks with their seed in the ground before harvest time. There are laws that you have to follow. And yet we violate this all the time. There are people that haven't sown any seed in their ground. I have people come up to me all the time and they say they're praying for something. I say, so what scripture do you have? What word do you have from God? And they say, oh, I don't know. Can God heal? Is it God's will to heal? You hadn't planted a seed and yet you're wondering why you aren't getting a harvest. Why hasn't anything worked? I'm telling you, one of the reasons that God chose a seed is because you've got to plant a seed. You've got to plant a seed to a certain depth. You've got to plant it at the right time. You've got to nourish it. You've got to take care of it. The Word works. I've had people challenge me, and I did everything the Word said, and it didn't work. That's just like the person that says, I planted the seed, and I took care of it, and I did everything, and it didn't work. It's not true. In the natural, there can be corruptible seeds. We have seeds that rotten in the ground. But the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we were born again of the incorruptible seed, the word of God that lives and abides forever. God's word never rots. God's word never fails to work. Jesus, I mean, the Old Testament scripture says that the word will not return unto him void. God's word always, always works. A person who says, I've done everything the word said and it didn't work. You did not do what the word said. You may have acknowledged what it said, but maybe you waited until a day before you were in crisis and you didn't give it time to grow. You didn't nurture it. There's, this whole parable is talking about things that have to be done to make the word work. But one of the reasons God used a seed is because there are laws that govern it and you can't circumvent them. You can't wait until the night before harvest and plant your seed and get a full harvest. But see, if it was a social system, if he was talking about that the kingdom of heaven is like going to school and passing a test, if he would have used that as an example, see, that wouldn't work because people cheat in school all of the time. You can cheat off of somebody else's test and you can write down their answers and maybe get by. Or you can really goof off and then the night before a test, cram for your test. And you can put this information in your short-term memory and you can pass a test, but then you get out there, you didn't know what it was. There are some of us that did that. And you passed your test and you made good grades in school. And if, you, if I was to ask you right now the things that you passed your test on when you were in school, you wouldn't even have a clue. Because you didn't really do it. You beat the system. You cram for your, your finals and your exams, but you can't cram for a harvest. You can't beat this system. There are laws and they are un inflexible. They do not vary. They don't change. And it just, it won't work. If you plant seed in the desert, you might have the uh, heat that is necessary, but you know what? There isn't the moisture and you have to have these combination of things for that thing to germinate and grow. And it, there are just certain conditions that have to be meant. Each seed has different conditions and you have to learn what they are and you just have to learn to cooperate with it. This is what the Lord said, that the sower is sowing the seed. There are laws that govern how the word works. And I can promise you that if you aren't seeing your healing, your deliverance, your joy, your peace, 
If you aren't having the benefits that are promised in the Word of God, it's not the Word that's not working, it's the fact that we aren't taking it. Most people don't approach the Word of God like this, and they look at as, as the things of God as, well, you never know what God's going to do. It's hit and miss. Why did God touch this person and miss this person, and how come this happened? There are reasons for it all. It's all revealed right here in Scripture. And the sad thing is we aren't studying the Word as if it is a seed. We don't look at it as being reliable. And so we just sit there and do our own thing, goof off, don't seek the Lord. We're bitter. We're full of unforgiveness and on and on, violate all the principles of the Word of God. And then if something doesn't work, we get mad like, well, it doesn't work. That's as silly as the person who never plants a seed or puts a seed in the ground but then doesn't take care of it and does all these things and wonders why they don't get a harvest. How come this person's garden is doing so well and mine isn't doing anything? I've been sitting on the couch. I hadn't hoed. I hadn't done anything. I didn't fertilize. I didn't put any nutrients. I hadn't watered. I hadn't done anything. But I expect the same results as the person gets over here and works in their garden every single day. There's nothing wrong with that seed. There's something wrong with the person planting the seed. Amen. Boy, there's so much more I could say about that. But anyway, the point is he uses a seed because there, it is a great example of how the Word of God works. Look over in Matthew chapter 13 again. And it says in verse 19, when any... Uh, anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh that wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. There's four different types of people's hearts described. The seed is the word of God. The soil is comparable to people's hearts. The word has to get into your heart. And this first type of soil, it was thrown on the wayside. That means where a path was, people had walked by and compressed the ground so much that it was so hardened that the seed never penetrated the soil. It just laid on top and the birds came and picked away that seed. He says that the first type of person is a person who the word never penetrated. And he specifically says they understood it not. And Satan came and stole the word from them. Now this is a great revelation. And that is that understanding is the entrance into your heart. If you can't understand it, the word cannot take root in your life and it cannot produce fruit. And this goes back to everything I was saying at the beginning, how that Jesus said that understanding is hidden from those who will not accept sp the spiritual revelation, who don't open up their heart and begin to receive it by revelation. There are people who read the Bible intellectually, but they never open up their heart to God. And these people, they, I've actually heard people that can quote scriptures. I heard one story about a guy who made his living in a carnival and he took bets that you could ask for any passage of scripture in the Bible and he could quote it. And he had memorized the New Testament and most of the Old Testament and he had people place bets and he could quote scriptures. And yet this guy wasn't saved. This guy wasn't healed. He wasn't delivered. He wasn't set free. There was no understanding. He read it as something that was making him money. He approached it with the wrong attitude. It's not just putting the word in your brain. You got to have it in your heart. It has to be a spiritual revelation. And if you can't understand the word, then Satan has access to you. 
There are four different types of hearts described. And the only one that Satan had free access to, to just steal the word from is a person who didn't understand. And again, all of this goes back to, you have to deaden yourself. Your heart has to wax gross layer after layer after layer of just pushing God away and rejecting it. And the more you do that, your heart becomes more insensitive, more insensitive, less able to perceive spiritual truth. Man, it's deadly. You cannot deaden your heart to the Lord and prosper. If you aren't seeking God, your heart is becoming gross, insensitive, darkened, deadened to the things of God. And it allows Satan to just steal the word from you. That's a terrible condition to be in. There is no hope for you. If the seed can't get on the inside of you, you will never bear fruit. You're going to have to spend your life running to someone else who has borne fruit and take your fruit from them. You will never be mature. You will never receive from God. And if, unless you begin to understand the word, and you know, I've, uh, I was in um, Uganda recently and this time I didn't do it, but every other time I've been to Uganda, I go on television and do an interview. And this has happened twice that when they interview me, they ask who I am. And I say, well, I'm a teacher. God has gifted me to be a teacher. And the last time I was on, the guy who was interviewing me kind of laughed. And he says, why would you introduce yourself as a teacher? You know, there are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Teachers are the least. Why would you introduce yourself as the least? Why wouldn't you say you're an apostle or a prophet or a pastor or something? And he basically just said, why would anybody call themselves a teacher? You know what? Teaching is super important because that is how people understand. The, the basic difference between a preacher and a teacher is that a preacher proclaims and a teacher explains. You can have a st person stand up and say, it's God's will for you to be well. And he can get you fired up and amen, God wants me well. And a preacher can get you fired up and we need that. I'm not against that. We need a cheerleading. We need people that can excite us and motivate us to do things. But you know what? If you don't understand you will never be able to implement it. And in a way, you'll be worse off because now you're motivated and fired up and you don't know how to get from where you are to over there. A teacher's job is to help people understand and it's got to be plain. It's got to be simple. I've sat under people. I was raised in a denomination that the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary was close to us. And every time we had somebody fill our pulpit, it was all of the doctors with the, you know, 10 degrees behind their name. And they came over and you would have to sit there with a dictionary on your lap to listen to their sermon and try and figure out. And they thought this was great. They thought this was really deep. When, when they said words that they would have to explain and nobody knew and you just would be in awe. Man, this person is so smart. You know what? That's really dumb. You're a sorry communicator if you use these words that nobody understands. It doesn't matter if you're correct in what you say or not. A truly smart person, a truly good communicator is a person that can take complex things and make them so simple that anybody can understand. That's a good communicator. And yet we have so many people that in a sense are doing these things and they aren't explaining. And because of it, Satan just comes and steals away the word. Do you know this is why we have children's ministry, youth ministry, 
The word is the word is the word. You don't change what you're teaching. You don't teach the children different things than you teach the adults, but their ability to understand is different. And so you put it down on a level that they can understand. You use examples that they understand. You don't talk about family and you don't talk about husband and wife relationships. A kid doesn't have the ability to understand. So you teach the same truths, but you put it in a context that they can understand. That's why it's important. If you can't understand, Satan steals the word from you immediately and there is zero chance of you ever grasping spiritual truth and therefore the word ever working for you. And you know, sad to say, a huge amount of the body of Christ lives there. They hear and yet they don't hear. They see and yet they never see because they never had any understanding and Satan just steals it away from them. Boy, that's sad, but there are millions of people like that. There are millions of people that their heart is waxed gross and they just don't have any understanding. They spiritually are dull of perceiving. And yet, you know, somebody mentioned this, I think it was Wendell this morning, that Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not hear. Did you know if you did a poll among the average Christian and said, do you hear God speak to you? The average Christian would say no. And yet they turn around and say, oh, I can hear the devil. The devil told me this and the devil told me that. Most average Christians' experience is completely different than what Jesus said in John chapter 10. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but this spiritual perception is in your spirit. It's your born-again spirit that has the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. It's your born-again spirit that's been renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him, Colossians 3.10. It's your born-again spirit that has an unction from the Holy One and knows all things. It's only with your spirit, with your heart, that you can perceive spiritual truth. Every born-again person has this spirit and this perception, this supernatural ability to understand, but it has to come through your heart, not through your head. You know, I was ministering to the children yesterday morning, but I heard that this is basically what Barry Bennett was teaching about, was revelation knowledge. It has to come by revelation. You, have, you can only know God by revelation. The Bible's not written to your head. It's written to your heart. I've had so many people say, I've tried to read the Bible and I can't understand it. It's because you're reading it intellectually like a book. You're trying to figure it out with your peanut brain. You have to open up your heart. And I read things and man, it just doesn't make sense to my head. And then I'll say, Father, I know that this is the infallible word of God. Now pray in tongues and ask God to interpret it to me and show me. And I mean, I start seeing the wisdom. It is tremendous wisdom but it just can't be perceived by your brain. You got to get it with your heart. Some people think, so the word of God is not intellectual. No, it is super smart. It's just not the wisdom of this world. Your spirit is actually able to obtain unto a greater wisdom. Like for instance, take the scriptures that talk about prosperity. Luke six thirty-eight. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You've got to perceive that by your spirit because to the natural mind, this is crazy. 
I don't have enough now to meet my needs. If I take 10% of what I've got and give it away, I'm even further away from meeting my needs. The natural mind, a carnal person who is only looking at things with their brain and, you know, two plus two equals four. If you, if you say two plus two minus one, then I'm moving away from this. And that's just the way that they sit and they cannot perceive it. You have to have spiritual understanding to understand that when I give, God begins to supernaturally increase so that I could have two plus two minus two and I wind up with more than four. God will bless me. God will cause it to prosper. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind, but that's good spiritual math. And it makes perfect sense once you understand it, but it has to be perceived with your heart. And this first type of person is a person who had no understanding. They didn't have ears to hear. They couldn't see. And so Satan just came and stole it from them. Man, that's a sad state. And yet I've seen this hundreds and thousands of times. I've preached my heart out to people and had them come up and they had no spiritual perception. They didn't even have a clue what I was talking about. Not a clue. And it's just like you're talking a different language. And you know what? You just can't force it on them. I used to try and force people to believe and now I've come to realize that they have to have a spiritual revelation. And so I'll, I'll say things to them to the degree that they're understanding and receiving, but if they just start bowing their neck and refusing, I won't argue with the person because I can't argue anybody into doing anything. It has to come by revelation. So this first type of person is a person who just had zero spiritual perception. I cannot believe it's this late. I have hardly gotten started. <laughs> There's not a chance I'm going to cover the second type in the next 10 minutes. I really had three parables in Matthew 13 I was wanting to cover, and I'm not getting very far. Real quickly, let me just start, and I'll quit in 10 minutes or something like this. And we'll just, I never finish, I just quit. And then we start again. So we'll continue tomorrow night. The second type of person is a person, this is where I was the second type of person when the Lord started revealing this parable to me in 1972. Jamie and I had just gotten married and it was just a couple of months after we had gotten married and I was in a Baptist church and I was trying to share the truths that God was showing me in the Baptist church and man, they were coming against me big time and fighting against me and I was struggling and uh, I, would, I would go to meetings and hear other people that would minister the Word of God. And I'd get so fired up. Man, I was excited. I'd come back to my Baptist church and I'd start sharing those truths and the people would start criticizing me and countering it. And I'd last for a week or two weeks and within a couple of weeks, I'd just have all of my enthusiasm gone. I'd be saying the same things, but no longer was I confident, no longer was I bold with it, and I wasn't getting any results. I'd come back from these meetings and we'd see miracles happen. We saw a lot of miracles and people healed. And I was operating in gifts of the Spirit and calling things out and doing, th it was awesome. But within a week or two, I just couldn't do it. It was just not there. I had no confidence. I had fear instead of faith. And this happened so often that I'd go to a meeting, get fired up and come back and last for a week or two and lose it and then go back. It happened so often that after a while I recognized the pattern and I knew that I'd only last a week or two and then I'd have to go another week or two 
before I could go to another meeting, but then I'd expect to go to this meeting and be back on fire. I saw this thing, a yo-yo deal where I was up and down and sometimes it was strong in me and sometimes it wasn't. And I just came to expect it. And I was in that situation and I, Jamie and I were studying this and reading this and the Lord spoke to me. This second type of person, it says, was a person who received the word with gladness, but they didn't have any root in themselves. You know, the, the, par- the original parable that Jesus gave, it was, a, it was a type of ground where the seed got below the surface, but it was rocks there and it didn't have any depth of earth. So it couldn't put roots down. And as a result, it sprung up, but it didn't have enough uh, n- nutrients to produce an entire plant and fruit. And so it withered and it died. As far as the results went, there was zero result difference between the results of the person who couldn't understand and the word never penetrated them. There was no difference between that and the person who was excited about it, but they didn't have any root in themselves. Both of them did not produce fruit. And the Lord spoke this to us. Jamie and I saw this and I saw what was happening that I didn't have any root in myself. I was living off of other people's revelation. I would go over and get what they said and I recognized it as truth. The spirit bore witness. I was excited about it and I'd go back and I'd parrot other people's teaching and I'd quote them and I'd say, so-and-so said this because it wasn't my revelation. It was their revelation. I recognized it as truth, but I was preaching it as their revelation, it wasn't rooted in me. And so because of that, when persecution came and people criticized me, I couldn't sustain it. And the Lord spoke this to Jamie and me. And I remember that we were uh, staying at, some people had given us a little trailer that was on uh, one of the lakes outside of Dallas. And we were out there for kind of a weekend, just really enjoying everything. And we were studying the word. Man, when I read this, the Holy Ghost just quickened to me that this is the problem. You don't have any root in yourself. It is not your revelation. And I mean, it was God speaking to me. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I explained this and told Jamie what the Lord was giving me. And we joined hands and prayed. And we says, you know what? Never, ever again am I going to have to quote and says, so-and-so said... I said, I may hear somebody else say something that God speaks to me through that, but I ain't going to take it and meditate on it until it becomes mine. It's going to become rooted on the inside of me and never again will I ever have to quote and say, thus saith so-and-so. There's some people that don't hear me quote a lot of people and they think, well, boy, you don't give people credit. But it goes all the way back to that decision where I used to live off of somebody else's revelation and God told me I had to have a root in myself. So now I may hear other people say things, but very seldom do I refer to that. I'll take that truth and man, if it's something that God spoke to me, I'll receive it, but then I'll swallow it. I'll get it down on the inside of me and it'll start taking root on the inside of me. And typically speaking, you know, this changes as you grow in the Lord. When I first started, you didn't have, uh, you know, 20 years worth of experience. And so I would preach things when there was just a little root. But now when the Lord shows me something, typically it'll be a year or two years after God speaks something to me before I'll share it with other people. I'll meditate on it. I'll live it. I'll let it start working in my life. And when you live something for a couple of years, you tend to get rid of the fluff 
all of the things that were just exciting your flesh and you get down to just the real meat of it. And basically, I don't teach anything that I haven't already lived and put into practice for years. I mean, it takes me at least a couple of years. Now, if the Lord shows me, like for instance, I've got a revelation of something and I already have the concept and he just gives me a new scripture that, man, that's exactly what this is saying and it's a new way of illustrating it or something like that. I can preach that immediately, but I wouldn't receive a brand new revelation from God without meditating on it and letting it become mine and rooted on the inside of me. It's just the way that I live. And you know, because of that, uh, it has made a huge difference in our life. And you know, the night, that was a Saturday night. Jamie and I made this decision. We prayed and we said, from this time on, it says afflictions and persecution come for the word's sake in this second time. And I said, from now on, I don't care who it is that comes against us. We are going to take the word of God. We're going to protect it. We're going to keep it on the inside. And I'm going to let God be true and every man a liar. Romans chapter three, verse four. I said, I don't care who it is. I don't care what authority figure it is. I don't care how close they are to us. Nobody, nobody, nobody is ever going to steal the word from me. I'm going to keep it in the midst of my heart. And we prayed and we made a commitment. And the next day we went to that little Baptist church. And you know, the lady who was like, Jamie and I looked at her like a spiritual mother to us. And she had been a very important lady in our life. But uh, she was Baptist. Her husband was the associate pastor of the church. And we were just getting a little bit weird out there with all of this faith stuff and believing God. And she just kept chipping away and saying little critical things that were chipping away and hurting our confidence. And we had tried to tolerate it because they were such good friends. The very next day we went to church and after church, we lived uh, 40 something miles away from the church we went to. And so we would go to church in the morning and then go over to somebody's house and stay all afternoon and then go to church that night. And w after church was over, we were over at some friend's house and this woman was there. And, uh, you know, there was a lot I was talking and she got Jamie and pulled her into a back room by herself and got to talking. And she says, you know, Andrew's just about gone off the deep end. He's just about too far gone. You're the only one that can stop him. You have to start stopping him. You got to keep him from going this direction. And we had just made this decision. And she was one of Jamie's best friends. And you know what? Jamie did it in love, but she says, he's my husband. I'm in agreement and that's it. We're gone. And we broke that relationship. One of our very best friends. And we didn't see them for nearly 10, 12 years. We just broke it off. Now, I'm not saying you have to do it that way. We probably could have been more polite or more um, gracious. We probably could have done it better. But you know what? It's like, a, it's like a plant. When you first plant it, it's not able to withstand a hurricane or the cold. You have to put it into a greenhouse, into a hothouse, and let that thing get rooted. And once it's rooted, then an oak can withstand a hurricane. But you know what? We were just barely getting root. The Lord had shown me that I, we didn't have root and we had to protect that seed and we weren't going to let anybody pull it up. And it may not have been the proper way. Maybe we could have done it more graciously, but the principle that we were operating in was correct that nobody is going to steal this from us. If it cost us anything, let God be true and every man a liar. And we broke that relationship. 
And we told them, we love you, but man, if you are going to sit there and try and separate Jamie and me and get her to work against her husband, it's over. We're out of here. We're gone. And did you know that, anyway, it's a long story, but years and years later, I was at a uh, conference. There was 10,000 people at this conference, and I was walking down the aisle in this conference, and the man saw me from up in the balcony, and I mean in front of everybody, yelled at me. <laughs> Andy, he yelled at me, and I looked up and saw this guy in the balcony, and so we went and connected, and we went out to eat, and I told jokes and laughed. It wasn't great spiritual things, but we just had a good time reconnecting with them and went home and his wife called us and said he had even talked about uh, suicide, talked about quitting the church, getting out of the ministry. He had been so depressed and he saw the joy of the Lord in me and realized that, you know what, if Andrew can have joy, then I can too. And he decided to get back into the ministry. God supernaturally put us back together. We were able to minister to them and help them and help him get back into the ministry. And so God restored it and things worked out. Maybe I could have done it better, but the principle exists that you've got to get to a place that you are going to protect God's word. And it says specifically that affliction and persecution comes against you for the word's sake. Not because of you. Satan is not against you. He's not afraid of you. He's afraid of that seed, this incorruptible seed. He knows that it will, it's what the whole kingdom operates on. And he is trying to get you to back off of the word. That's what it's all about. Don't take it personally when people don't understand what you're saying. It's Satan coming against the word, trying to get you to back off of the word because of what it's costing you. Because it's going to cost you a friendship. Because you're going to get kicked out of your church. Because your Sunday school class will be taken away from you. He's trying to get you to back up on the Word. Man, these are some awesome truths. And I'm out of time. God forbid. Man, this is powerful. This is important what I'm saying. You know, I've got this teaching in a bunch of my different teachings. There's a teaching entitled A Sure Foundation. Another one entitled Effortless Change. I also think that I refer to this and teach on it a little bit in how to receive a miracle. But this is foundational stuff. And I promise you, if the things I'm saying are new concepts to you, then that's the reason that you aren't bearing more fruit is because you don't have the root in yourself. Praise God. Father, we thank you for these truths. Thank you for the word of God. Father, thank you for revealing these things by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. And he's given us an understanding so that we can know these things, that they aren't hidden from us, they're hidden for us. Father, thank you. And we just receive this supernatural revelation. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here, Father, who haven't really put the priority on the Word of God. They're praying and asking for miracles and asking for blessings. And they're passionate and they're pleading, but they haven't planted any seed. They haven't taken the word of God that promises them things and stood on it and protected it against the criticism of family members and, and work associates and things like this. Father, I'm just praying that you would impress it on people, how important it is to get the Word of God on the inside of them, that everything in the kingdom of God works off of a seed, the seed of your Word, 
And that, Father, we would take this word and put it in our heart and just let the word bring forth effortlessly. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take these things and make revelation in people's hearts. Father, I pray that for anyone who hasn't committed themselves to knowing the Word of God and letting the Word of God abide on the inside of them, Father, I pray that you would just put this desire, this commitment on the inside of people. That, Father, they'd make that decision. That they would understand. That, Father, they would take this truth, this revelation that I've spoken by the Spirit of God tonight and they would let it get down on the inside of them and not let Satan come and steal this away. That Father, they would act on this, that they would put it into practice, that they would make a commitment that God's Word is going to dominate and control their life. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I believe that you're speaking that to many, many people. And it will do whatever, whatever it takes, whatever that is, that the Word of God will begin to dominate and control us. And Father, we just thank you. We believe that that's your will. And so we open up our heart to the seed and receive this seed on the inside of us and believe it's going to produce a hundredfold. And Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. I promise you, if you do that, if you receive that, it's going to change your life. You know, let me say tonight that if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that's the first thing that has to happen. When you get born again, you become a new creature. And according to 1 Corinthians 2.16, you get the mind of Christ in your spirit. That's the first step. And then after you receive the mind of Christ in your born again spirit... Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance. So you need a born-again spirit that gives you the capability, and then you need the Holy Spirit that will literally reveal and draw this wisdom that is placed in your spirit out. So you need to be born again, and you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is God's will for every single person, no exceptions. And part of the Holy Spirit is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's a number of them, but one of them that when people in the Bible receive the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. Speaking in tongues is powerful because it, in a sense, allows you to get beyond your mind. Your mind is going to rebel at speaking in tongues. I can promise you that. It's foolishness. It doesn't make sense to your carnal mind. And if you just continue to speak in tongues, you've got to go beyond the natural. You've got to start operating in your spirit and going by faith and not just by your carnal knowledge. So speaking in tongues is a powerful, powerful gift. Is there, is there anybody here tonight that does not have one or both of those? You either need to be born again and make Jesus your personal Lord, or you've already been born again, but you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't speak in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and let us pray with you, and we can help you to receive. Anybody? Here's one back here. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Here's another one. Praise the Lord. Here's another one back here. Three or four more. Praise God. And this will change your life. If you understood what I said at the first of this about how that it has to be perceived spiritually, you are spiritually dull without the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is powerful. 
I'm not minimizing that at all. But the revelation knowledge that comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit has to be, in my estimation, the greatest thing that happens. And I tell you, your spiritual perception will just go up tremendously once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to receive it. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? And we want to pray with you and help you to receive both either or both of these gifts from God. Just come forward right now and let us pray with you. Praise the Lord. As Melinda said, we've already had 77 people come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and about a dozen born again. But I just hate to let a service go without giving an opportunity for this because this is critical. This is foundational. And this is for every single person. We don't want to let an opportunity go because every person must be born again and you must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to really prosper in the things of God. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. You know, in my heart, I just know that there's other people here that don't speak in tongues, but you are thinking, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, I am. If you aren't sure, trust somebody who is sure. I'm absolutely guarantee you. Some of you like the fruit that you see. You've heard me give testimonies about my own son raised from the dead and We've had blind eyes open and deaf ears open this week and you hear things. And so because of that, you're drawn. But I'm telling you what the root is that produces this fruit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an absolutely essential part of this process. Jesus said you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and speaking in tongues is a part of that. So if you aren't sure about it, I am. You ought to come and receive. You know, the worst thing that can happen to you is you come up here and nothing happens. Amen. We aren't going to do something bad to you. People are always afraid. I'm going to get something from the devil. The Bible says that if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? If you ask for a fish, he won't give you a serpent. If you ask for an egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion. If you ask for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a rock. The Holy Spirit is not going to give you anything bad. If you are up here truly seeking God, God's going to take care of you. Nothing bad is going to happen. Amen. Praise God. I'm not going to force you, but I know that there's other people out there that don't speak in tongues. You ought to be up here. You should be up here. Maybe somebody says, well, I believe it and I've tried and it just hasn't worked. So I'm not going to go up and be disappointed again. You know what? You ought to be up here. If you don't have freedom speaking in tongues, even if you believe in it, you ought to be up here and let us minister to you. We've seen lots, thousands of people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can help you through that. Amen. Praise God. Awesome. You know, I've already given an invitation for four nights in a row on this, and everybody has gone through this, and we've seen people born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost. So what I'm going to do tonight is rather than taking 20 or 30 minutes to do this here, I'm going to ask Melinda and Ashley, our prayer ministers, to take you across the hall, and they can share with you how to be born again. Or if you're already born again, they can share with you how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And I've got a book that I'm going to give you that will explain it, and it will answer your questions. And 
like I was teaching tonight, you've got to understand. So even though we pray with people and they receive the baptism, Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, we always give you a book that explains it scripturally so that you can retain it so that Satan won't come and steal the word away. So if you would, what I'd like to ask you to do is just to follow Ashley over here. He's a man right there with his hand up and that we got a room right across the hall and they're gonna talk to you and praise God. We believe you're getting receiving here tonight. Is that a good deal? Awesome. Just follow Ashley. It'll only take a few minutes and praise God you will receive. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, I love the children's ministry. They're doing a great job, but it sure does hamper my style when everybody gets up and starts leaving to go get their kids, praise God. It's like a governor on something. About the time you're picking up speed, you just have to slow down, stop. So anyway, we'll continue this tomorrow. But let me ask, I want to ask this. If you're one of those that tonight you understood maybe for the first time how important the Word of God is, and you maybe got some revelation tonight about, man, no wonder I don't have spiritual perception because I haven't taken the Word of God and put it in my heart. Or maybe the little bits that I've had, I haven't stood and defended it. I've allowed other things to talk me out of it. And I am more concerned about the approval from men than I am what the Word of God says. If you've been convicted like that and you realize that you are a person who either hasn't your heart has become hardened so that the word of God isn't penetrating you or maybe you've even gotten excited about the word but you let afflictions and persecution choke and steal the word from you if that's you and if you want to change and if you're making a commitment tonight to say from this time forth I'm going to put God's word first place in my life I am going to know God's Word. I am committing myself to reading the Word of God with my heart and not just with my head. If you're a person who's making that commitment, if you haven't done it before, if you've already done it, I want you to stay seated. But if you're making a commitment that I'm going to put God's Word in my heart and praise God, I'm not going to have to trust somebody else telling me what it says. I'm going to know it. If that's you, I'd like you to stand up and I want to make a commitment and pray with you about that. If that's you, I want you to stand right where you are. The scripture says in Timothy, it says that I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I commit unto him against that day. God keeps what you commit to. No committing, no keeping. You've got to make a commitment. And that's what I'm asking you to do right now is to say, you know what, I'm making a commitment that I'm going to start reading the word with my heart and trusting on the Holy Spirit to interpret it. And I am not going to let anybody or anyone talk me out of the word of God. If you would make that commitment, and if this is the first time you're making that, then it says he'll keep you to it. He'll remind you tomorrow. When you get up and start in your normal lifestyle and it's not including the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your remembrance and says, you remember that commitment? You need to spend some time in the Word. He will start reminding you of this and He'll hold you to it, not in a way that He's condemning you at all, but He will draw you to His Word. I'm telling you, this is how the kingdom works. And once you plant that seed, it just begins to change everything. If you put God's Word in your heart, I guarantee you, you will change effortlessly. It'll just happen. 
you won't have to force it. You will change miraculously as the Word of God is sown in your heart. It's a miracle seed. It produces miracle results. You just got to make sure that you get it in your heart. Anybody else? Anybody else? Like I've said every night, I'm not going to pray for you unless you stand. I'm going to pray it won't work if you're seated. If you're going to get this prayer, you got to stand. See, there's some people that stood. You were going to bootleg this prayer. Amen. Man, you got to humble yourself and say, all right, I'm making this commitment. I'm not asking you to do some great thing. I'm just asking you to stand in front of people who love you and are praying for you. That's not a huge thing to do, but you got to stand. Praise God. I still got people standing up. I know it's a big decision on short notice, but the Holy Spirit's dealing with people. And if, the, if you're feeling a tug in your heart, you know, if you're saying, I want to do that, that's not human. That's not natural. The natural man doesn't want to commit themselves to knowing God and studying the word and opening up their heart. It's because the Holy Spirit is drawing you and you need to respond positively. You don't need to shrug this off and put on one more layer of insensitivity between you and God. If you feel like the Holy Spirit's drawing you, if you have a desire to do this, you ought to stand right now and make this commitment. And somebody's thinking, well, I, I know I can't keep it. You know what? God understands that we don't do everything right. He's not going to condemn you, but he will remind you and hold you to this and continually draw you back to this. He'll do it in a loving way. He's not going to do it to condemn you. You won't be able to commit, commit and keep this commitment perfectly. But I guarantee you, you need to start in that direction and the Holy Spirit will help you. Anybody else? Last call before we pray. Praise God. Father, I thank you for all of these people who've stood. Thank you for them humbling themselves. Thank you for showing us tonight why we aren't bearing fruit. Thank you, Father, for this revelation. And thank you that these people have chosen to act on it and to make a commitment. We believe that by them responding positively and acting on this, that this little truth we've talked about tonight has now penetrated their heart. I believe it is below the surface. I believe that Satan is not able to steal this away from them. But Father, now we trust that you are going to keep that which we've committed. We thank you that you are going to draw them back to this and remind them of it. I thank you that right now you just place such a burning desire on the inside of them for the word of God that it will consume them. That it'll be like Job talked about. That it was his, he esteemed the word of God more than his daily food more than is necessary food. Father, that we would get hungry for the word of God more than we desire food. That Father, we would long for your precepts like it talks about in Psalms 119. That Father, your word would be sweeter than honey, more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Father, I just thank you for a burning desire being planted on the inside of every person. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is helping us, drawing us to the word and giving us supernatural revelation. I pray Luke 24, 45, that Jesus spoke to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It says, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. 
Father, I believe that right now the anointing of the Holy Spirit is coming upon every one of these that they might understand the scriptures, that there would be spiritual perception that they've never had before. And that like Jeremiah said, that your word was like fire shut up in his bones, that he couldn't forbear, he had to speak. I thank you that the word of God is just going to be fanned into a strong flame on the inside of them. And it'll burn up the dross and get rid of the carnality and all of the weirdness that's in our life. Father, we receive this. That's what we desire. We open up to the Holy Spirit and we thank you that you are bringing that to pass. And that today is going to be a major difference. July the 1st, 2010. A seed has been planted in our hearts that will never be plucked up. Father, we agree and we receive that and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all agree? Praise the Lord. I remember when I made that decision and it was a turning point in my life. I believe that this is going to change your life. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. You know, I'd like to ask our prayer ministers if they would to come up here. I know that there's people, I talked to some people today who still came and they're believing for healing. We've seen so many people healed. We've prayed for some of you till we're about to rub the hair off the top of your head. But you know what? We are here and if there's anybody here who hasn't been prayed for or if you just need a prayer of agreement, you can't undo your first prayer, but if you're just saying, I believe I've got it and I want you to agree and once again, just give me another dose of the Holy Ghost. If you want to agree with us, we can agree and release it and we believe that miracles are going to happen. So if there's anybody here that needs prayer, if you would get up out of your seat and come forward, these are our prayer ministers. We'd be glad to pray with you. We've got people at the aisles that are going to direct you to a person so that you won't all get on one side. Please follow their instructions. And I believe that miracles are going to take place here tonight in the name of Jesus. These are our prayer ministers. These are people that have been through a training with us. They're people who are Bible college students, people who are pastors. Bonnie here is one of the supervisors in our phone center. She's prayed with thousands and thousands and thousands of people and seen them heal. Praise God. The rest of you, you're welcome to go if you need to. I'm going to stay and I'm going to lead us in prayer. We've been calling out healings like this uh, testimony you heard tonight of the woman who was healed of neuropathy. That was something that I called out through the gifts of the Holy Spirit last night. And we see a lot of people healed out there in the seats. So you're welcome to stay and pray with us, but you're free to go if you need to go. Don't forget that we have... DVDs and CDs already duplicated out here and you're free to get those of all of our services that we've had up to this point. Don't forget that tomorrow night we're starting at 645 with our uh, service about praising God for this nation. We've also got services in the morning. It'll be our last morning meetings. They start at nine o'clock. Praise God. Thank you for coming. Don't forget all of our materials out there. I've got teaching entitled A Sure Foundation that will cover in depth what I started to talk about tonight. Also a teaching entitled Effortless Change. And they would really help you to amplify these points that we were talking about tonight. They'd be a blessing to you. Praise God. Thank you, Father. 
Father, we just thank you for these truths. We agree and receive your miraculous power here tonight in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that miracles are flowing in this place. Father, thank you for healing every single one of these. We believe that by your stripes, we've already been healed. And we just receive that healing. We release your anointing now to flow through these bodies. We believe that this healing has already been provided. We take our authority right now and we release this power through these bodies. Bodies, we speak to you in Jesus' name. We command you to respond. We break demonic powers. We break the demonic control over people, sickness and disease. We cast it out now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you that Satan's power is broken. Satan, get out of this place. Get out of these people. Leave now in the name of the Lord Jesus. We refuse to allow these sicknesses and diseases, infirmities to leave, to stay in Jesus' name. You have to leave. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the Lord's speaking to me that somebody here has been dealing with memory loss. And you know, there's all of us forget some things just because we get busy or occupied. I'm not talking about normal things. I'm talking about somebody that you can tell that you're forgetting things that you should know that at one time you did know. There is a there is some kind of a physical problem and you, you realize that you got a problem with that. If you're dealing with memory loss, I want you to stand and identify yourself. Raise your hand. Here's somebody over here. Here's another one. Anybody else? Here's a couple of more. Anybody else? Here's people over here. Father, I just thank you. The Bible says that the memory of the righteous are blessed. Father, we're righteous through Jesus. We've received our salvation and we just speak that these memories are blessed. Whatever it is that is causing problems with their memory, we bind this now in the name of Jesus and we speak the blessing of God that these memories are blessed. That Father, you are bringing back to our remembrance things that you've spoken unto us. John 14, 26. We command this loss of memory to be gone. And if there's anything physical happening, Father, we release your anointing to flow through them. And thank you for quickening their mind. Thank you, Father, for bringing things back to their remembrance. Holy Spirit, we thank you and we believe that. We believe that a miracle is taking place right now. And we thank you for changing this situation. We release your anointing now. And Father, believe that from this time forth, that's changing. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, you know what? Instead of you just sitting there and passively saying, I wonder if anything's happened. You need to say, I'm healed of this. And you need to apply yourself and go to an effort to remember. And the Lord will supernaturally quicken that. But you have to put some effort behind it. And resist this. The Bible says in James 4, 7, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. So resist it and quit saying that you're losing your memory. Quit speaking that. Instead, speak that, man, the memory of the righteous is blessed. My memory is blessed. You start confessing that and speaking that over yourself. Amen? That's important that you cooperate with this. So, Father, we thank you and we receive that in Jesus' name. 
There's somebody here that's got a real problem in your calf. Something's happened to your calf. I believe it's your left calf. I don't know what that is, but somebody, somebody here is suffering in your left calf. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand so you, I can see who I'm praying for. Right here's a lady. Anybody else? Anybody else? Are you receiving that? Here's two more here. Praise God. Father, whatever this problem is in this left calf, in the name of Jesus, you be healed. You know, that's a pretty specific word of knowledge. God is saying he did this to quicken your faith and let you know that this is you. This isn't just a generic thing. You receive this. You believe that right now the healing power of God is touching you. I command pain to be gone. I believe one of you has got varicose veins. That's what you're praying over. And right there, they're gone. We command this to stop. I speak healing to these veins. Father, I thank you that you'll be able to look at this calf and there are no varicose veins anymore in the name of Jesus. We release this anointing and speak healing over this and command those things to go, those spider veins to leave now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise God. That's the anointing of God. I believe God has set you free. You'll see a difference. I believe that you're healed in Jesus' name. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you for these miracles taking place right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Somebody here's had a shortness of breath. And uh, it's a condition that you've had. It's been aggravated here in Colorado at high altitude. But you... You have problems breathing. Somebody here has got problems with your breathing. It could be COPD, asthma, bronchitis. I don't know what causes all that, but if you got problems breathing, here's a person over here. I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's another one. Here's one. Here's a couple over here. Anybody else? Here's some over here. Here's some in the back. Praise the Lord. Here's one. Father, I just pray for all of these right now. And whatever this breathing problem is, I release the anointing of God to flow through these lungs. Lungs, you open up and breathe now. Satan, let them go. I command this problem in these lungs to be healed. This shortness of breath, problems breathing, be gone now. I bind fear over them. Some of you, there's fear associated with this, and that has strengthened this in your life. I believe that perfect love is casting out fear. This is God speaking to you. God called out your problem because he loves you. The Lord loves you. He's taking care of this right now. Just receive the love of God. Let this fear go out of you. Perfect love is casting out fear. And Father, we believe that their lungs open up and that they're able to breathe properly right now in Jesus' name. I want you to begin to breathe. Take deep breaths. Here's the healing power of God flowing in your body. Father, we receive these healings now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. A related thing to that is allergies and uh, hay fever and things like this. People that have been struggling with that. Here's the healing power of God coming unto you right now. And I believe you're being delivered from that. If you've had allergies, hay fever, any of these things, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I'll see who this is. 
Father, right now for these that are standing, we just agree and we command those things to stop. Father, we believe we don't have to live with that. I command allergies, hay fever, other things to be gone now in the name of the Lord Jesus. We cast this out. Thank you, Jesus. There's some people here that are allergic to certain types of foods. Those allergies are leaving right now in the name of Jesus. We break that. Father, I thank you they're able to eat anything that's good for them in moderate amounts. Father, we just thank you for your healing flowing through them right now. Hay fever, be gone. Allergies, be gone now in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Father, we agree and we receive your power flowing through them and believe that people are set free from these things right now in the name of Jesus. You know, the Lord spoke to me that there's a lot of people here that you've got genetic things such as heart disease or I don't know, just anything that's genetic that's supposed to be passed down from generation to generation and you've lived with this uh, spoken over you. It's actually a curse spoken over you that you are going to have a tendency towards these things and you've kind of expected it. You know what? We're going to break that right now. We're going to break this. You've got the blood of Jesus flowing in your veins and you do not have to have the same things that your parents have had. I believe we can break that. My dad died from heart problems. He died 12 years before he finally died and stayed dead. He was raised from the dead. And he died when I was 12 years old. And uh, I broke that over me. And praise God, I don't have heart problems. I believe you can break that. So if you've got some kind of a genetic problem, I want you to stand and raise your hand. And we're going to break that over you. And I, I believe that from this time forth, not only is it broken over you, but it's not passing through you to your children. Father, I agree. And right now, in the name of Jesus... We break these generational things. We break these genetic problems. We stop this curse and all of the curses that have been spoken over us. And we say that in the name of Jesus, we are not going to have the same sicknesses and diseases and the problems, infirmities that have gone through our family. Father, we receive our new family. We've been adopted. We receive the blood of the Lord Jesus flowing in our veins. And we command all of these hereditary things to get out of our body. We stop it. We break it now in Jesus' name. It's over. And we believe that it's also broken over our children, that our children aren't going to inherit any of these things. Right now, we break the curse and we release the blessing that, Father, no plague will come nigh our dwelling. There won't be any sickness among us, not one single feeble person in our family that by the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed. And we thank you that we are free of these sicknesses and diseases. And we also are free of the worry and care about it. Father, now heal our mouth that we'll never speak this again, that we'll never talk about what's happened. We'll never empower this with our words, but instead we speak words of faith. Father, we release your power now and believe that the blessing has come and that the curse is gone in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen. Y'all agree with that? Thank you, Jesus. I remember a service where I did that. 
And you know what? I have not had any of the problems that have gone on in my family. Praise God. I believe that works. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and we receive these healings right now in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. I just feel like all kinds of miracles are taking place. Well, there's a lot of things happening here. There's more happening here than what I can call out. Thank you, Jesus. God's touching all kinds of people. Thank you, Father. There's a lot of things happening that aren't only physical. There's emotional deliverances and freedom. There's some of you being set free from depression and discouragement. And God's breaking that over you. There's somebody here that your family, there was um, mental issues in your family, people that have been mentally unstable. You were raised in that type of an atmosphere and you've had to fight that your entire time. The Bible says that God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And I believe that God is setting somebody free. Is that you? If that's you, I want you to stand. If you were raised around a situation where there was people mentally unstable and it's been a pressure on you, you've had to fight that. I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who it is I'm praying for. And I believe that we're breaking that. You're going to be free. You hadn't even realized this, but subconsciously it's made you insecure, afraid that maybe the same thing would happen to you. I believe God is setting you free from that tonight. This is God calling this out because he knows that this has been a problem in your life. And I believe this is breaking from this time on. You are never going to see yourself susceptible to that. You're going to recognize God gave you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. I break these curses right now. The fears, the memories, the torment about things in relatives that have been unstable and terrible things that they've seen and experienced. Father, we just thank you that you purge our memory of all of the trauma of that. And Father, right now, all of these negative things are broken. We break the fear. We break the words that have been spoken over them, the negative statements about how that this could happen to them. We cast that down and we speak that, Father, we have been given a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind and that, Father, we have a sound mind. We just speak that. And I thank you that tonight there's a change taking place in their heart that, Father, never again will they see this as something that is a part of them, that it has no dominance or influence. Satan, we break your power and we command this unsound mind to leave in Jesus' name. All of the torment of that, those familiar spirits, we command you to loose them and to let them go now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Some of you were delivered right there. You may, you may be able to perceive it or maybe you don't, but you were delivered. It's not that you yourself had a demonic spirit, but there was a demonic spirit that has operated in your family that has been knocking on your door and that thing's gone. I believe that's over. It's broken in the name of Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive that and thank you for total liberty and freedom. You are now going to have to establish a new identity. 
You've seen this as a part of your identity, whether you've given into it or not, you've always seen it as like a weakness. And now you're going to have to see yourself delivered. You're going to have to see yourself a brand new person. God's going to help you to get a new image of who you are in Christ. Praise God. Father, we thank you for that. We believe and that thank you that these people are delivered from that. And that is no longer a part of them. Thank you, Father. It's not only gone, but thank you that you seal them and protect them. And this is never coming back. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it in Jesus' mighty name. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, that's a major deal. I believe that some people really got set free right there. It's going to change your life. Praise God. Father, we agree and we receive. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise God. Man, lots of people are being ministered to down here. Praise God for these prayer ministers. You know what? They flow in the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's awesome things happening. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Looks like everybody's getting prayer, so I'm going to let you go. Praise God for the good things. And you know, more important than anything else is the seed that's been sown in your life. Don't let it go. Hold on to it. Amen. We'll see you in the morning. Praise the Lord.